Please be seated. And let's open in a word of prayer. Father, thank you for uh, the gift of your people and your word. We ask that you open our hearts to hear what you have to say to us this morning. And uh, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, good morning. Way to go, the chosen few who made it here today. Um, I drove in from Missouri at 6 a.m., and I, I, I literally thought I was going to die on the way here. So um, I'm, so, I'm particularly thankful to be here with you this morning. Um, if you've been here, uh, my name's Andrew, by the way. I'm a pastor here. Um, if you've been here in the last few weeks, or, or last week in particular, um, you know we started a new mini-series in our Bible in a Year Open Here series uh, on, the, on the history of Israel. And uh, we finished the first five books of the Bible called the Pentateuch, and now we moved into the historical books. And uh, last week we talked about Joshua, which is the beginning of that series, and today we're jumping into the book of Judges. It's the book right after Joshua. And specifically in the book of Judges, we're looking at the story of Samson. And I'm really excited to preach this sermon because Samson is one of my favorite characters of the Bible. He's He's so complex, and it's just interesting to read. And if you're familiar with Scripture, or maybe even if you're not, you, you've, you've probably heard of Samson. Uh, he's, kinda, he's the man with you know, superhuman strength. He can fight a thousand men by himself, and he's got long hair for kryptonite. And, and he's, you know, he's, yeah, he's like the, the closest that the Bible comes to Marvel Comics. And I was so excited to preach this that for months I've been not cutting my hair <laughs> just for this moment right now. Uh, he's, right, he's the guy, he's, you know, we learn about him in Sunday school. Um, if you've been to Sunday school, he's the kind of, you know, the reluctant Israelite who falls for the wrong woman named Delilah, but ends up delivering God's people from oppression, from the Philistines anyway. And uh, maybe even if uh, you've even bought the action figure before, you're such a fan. Um, isn't that so creepy? Um, and actually, the funniest thing about this is that on the, on the, in the bottom corner, it says family values on it. And uh, it's like apparently the company that made this had, had never read the story of Samson before. Um, because uh, Samson, as we'll, as we'll find out, is a lot of things. He's strong. He's famous. Uh, he's fascinating as a person, but a family role model he's not. Um, he is egotistical. He is self-centered. He is indulgent. Uh, and uh, he's a womanizer. He's a hothead. And he's a, really just a terrible leader for Israel through and through. And uh, we often read his story, or maybe we've been taught his story, uh, that, that Samson is the hero, or you know, at best he's kind of the anti-hero. Uh, he's, he's a flawed hero, he's, maybe he's a tragic hero, he dies at the end, but he's still a hero. And, uh, but a real hero, when you think about it, is someone who overcomes tremendous adversity to achieve some kind of goal, right? That's the plot of every superhero story. Uh, Batman defeats the Joker, you know, Superman saves the day, and all of this, right, despite the odds... Uh, but Samson doesn't really overcome any adversity. He's actually a part of the adversity. Uh, he's constantly in his story ignoring God and God's purposes for his life and running after his own agenda. And he, he is not the hero of, of his story. God is the hero of the story. Uh, God is the one who will save Israel from the Philistines and as we'll see, will we'll overcome the tremendous adversity of Samson's sin and his problems and his failures. Despite Samson, God will save. And what we'll see is that more than anything else in Samson's life, it's actually his hero complex that's his biggest problem. Uh, He keeps putting himself at the center of his own life. Uh, He is the main character of his story, and it's his agenda that's moving the plot forward, uh, or so he thinks. And because of that, he ends up ruining everything he cares about. 
And uh, we, if we think about that, we have the same problem. Uh, we think that we're the heroes. We think we are the main characters of our life stories, but we aren't. And when we put ourselves in the center, uh, when we think that we're the heroes of our families, of our jobs, of our careers, uh, of our own spirituality, uh, of our own salvation, we destroy those things. And we end up destroying ourselves along with them. And Samson's problem, and our problem at the same time, is not that we aren't strong enough to be the hero that, that we're supposed to be. Uh, it's not like, as we often think, that if we just had enough time or enough energy, if we could just overcome, you know, the kryptonite that is our busy schedule or our addiction problem, or our, if we could just get over our fears and our fears, then we would be the hero we're supposed to be. Our problem is not that we aren't being the hero God needs. That's not the problem. It's, it's that we aren't the hero at all. Samson's job and our job is not to be the hero. It's, it's to see the real hero of our lives, who's God himself. And if you let him be the center, if you let him tell his story through you, if you let him, uh, despite your weaknesses, work through you, despite your sins and your struggles, then you're doing much better than Samson uh, for all his strength. And if you don't do that, if, if like Samson, if you put yourself at the center as Samson does, God will still use you. He's, he's more than capable of doing that, but you will destroy everything that you touch and you will expose yourself to, to great ruin. And the key to the story of Samson and in, in many ways the key to the good life is this, is, is that God doesn't just work through you. He works through you despite you. And I'll explain a little bit more of, of what we mean as we go on. But if you can accept that, if you can grasp that, uh, it will make you a confident person. It will make you a person who is not afraid of the things that most people are afraid of. And it will also, at the same time, make you a, an incredibly humble person. A person who God is ready to use in very powerful ways. Ways that you could never do on your own. Uh, so here's where we're going to go this morning. Uh, Samson's story, it teaches us three things. We're going to learn God chooses despite us. He chooses despite us. He empowers despite us. And he saves despite us. So let's jump in. If you haven't turned to Judges already, uh, now's a good time to do that. Uh, it's, it's the book right after the book of Joshua in the Bible. If you need to use the table of contents, don't be ashamed. It's okay. This is a book that maybe not many of us have read before. Um, turn to Judges chapter 13. That's the beginning of Samson's story. And uh, to, to kind of catch us up, a lot has happened since last Sunday when, when Israel entered the promised land. It's been about 300 years since that happened. And uh, despite Israel's good start in the land, uh, it, they've once again fallen into disobedience and they're chasing after foreign gods. It's kind of like the context that we're walking into this morning. And Judges records this time. The refrain at the end of this book is that in those days, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Now, there's no spiritual leadership in Israel at all since Joshua has died. And so what God does is he ends up raising up various judges who are basically just local tribal leaders to save Israel from the foreign oppression that keeps creeping up uh, in the country. And I've used this, I've used this picture before, uh, but it's, it's so helpful for the book of Judges because when we think of judge, we, sometimes we think of this. We think, oh, Judge Judy. Um, but that's not what the Bible means. When the Bible, when the Bible says judge, it means something closer to this, like Scarface. It's like a thug. Um, and most of them are, are like thugs, especially the, more, the, the further you read along the judges, the more thug-like these people become. And they go around, they gather armies, and they fight wars. And they're, they're kind of the bottom of the barrel for leaders for Israel. And uh, really, in Israel's history, this is a very low point in their history. 
And by the time Samson rolls around, he's the last judge in the book of Judges. Israel is at a low, low point. And in fact, chapter 13 begins this way. It says, And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord gave them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. And God, throughout the book of Judges, he, he uses these foreign oppressors like the Philistines to awaken Israel to her spiritual problems uh, and running away from him. And then he raises up a judge to deliver them. And that's kind of the pattern of the book. And God's response in chapter 13 to what we've just read is to raise up Samson to deliver Israel from the Philistines. And he chooses Samson in a really dramatic way. Uh, in chapter 13, an angel visits Samson's parents, and, and, and they were barren. And he announces that a son is on the way. And it's not just any son, it's a son who will deliver Israel, who will be a thorn in the side of the Philistines. And most importantly, the son will be a Nazarite from birth. Now, probably a few of you are saying, thinking, what in the world is a Nazarite? Um, and, and you're in good company, actually. Uh, Samson's parents don't really even understand what this is at first. Uh, the angel has to visit them twice before they fully understand a Nazarite is someone who follows the Nazarite vow, which is described in Numbers chapter 6. And it's basically a vow of dedication or consecration. It's, it's usually a temporary vow. It's a voluntary vow for a specific time period uh, of, of devotion and separation for God's purposes. And in a modern parallel, we might think of is, is the season of Lent. Uh, is a, is a, a short time of, of, of real dedication, of giving something up to focus more on God. It's a similar idea. And Samson, as the angel points out, he's a Nazarite. He's holy to God. He's dedicated to him for his purposes uh, for his entire life. He's a Nazarite for life. And this came with several lifestyle implications for Samson. Uh, Samson could not touch a dead body. He could not drink any alcohol. And he could not cut his hair or shave. And these are all, of course, these are symbols of his dedication to God. And the story in chapter 13 uh, the chapter, I should say, ends with mommy giving birth and calling her son Samson. And then in verse 24, the text says, the Lord blessed Samson and the spirit of the Lord began to stir in him. So God's, we're seeing God's going to use him. But we want to stop here for a second because here's our first point is that God chooses despite us. And the first thing we see in Samson's story is that God chooses Samson for really no good reason at all. First, his parents are not particularly noteworthy or spiritual. Uh, in fact, if you read the story, his parents are pretty cynical and, and dim-witted. They, these aren't the kind of people we would expect God to give a miraculous birth to. In fact, they're so full of faith, these parents. They name their son Samson, which is related to the name of a pagan moon god at the time. So it's like, way to go, guys. Way to get Samson off to a good start. Um, and then, so that's number one. Second, Samson is not particularly special. His parents aren't special, and neither is he. And as you look at his life, he's, he's physically strong, but, he, but he's a spiritual disaster. He's nothing special. But then again, he's incredibly special, right? He's got four chapters of the Bible just, just for him. So why is he there? Well, not because he's strong, and not because he's wise, and not because he really has anything to offer in himself. He's special because God chose him. God chose him and set him apart as a Nazarite. And notice God does not say to Samson, live this way, obey these rules as a Nazarite, and then you will be a Nazarite. He doesn't say that. God says, I choose you. You are a Nazarite because I've called you one. You are dedicated to me. Therefore, live this way. Samson is not special, but he is chosen. 
And Samson, as we'll see, does not live at all like a Nazarite. He breaks every rule he possibly can when he's old enough. In the later chapters of his story, he takes a Philistine wife, which is strike one. You're not supposed to do that. Uh, he gets plastered at parties, strike two. Not supposed to drink alcohol. He eats honey from a dead lion, which is wrong on so many levels, but not, <laughs> not the least of which is he's touching a dead body, so that's strike three. And then he gets his hair cut, right? Strike four. Among many things we could list that he does. He's such a disaster. And he never rises spiritually or morally above God's enemies that he's called to fight. Everything he does, in fact, is just tit for tat for what the Philistines have done. And in chapter 15, uh, one of the tribes of Israel will, will come to Samson and they'll say, why are you causing all this, these problems with the Philistines? And uh, Samson will basically answer, I'm only doing to them what they've already done to me. In his heart, in his actions, he is nothing but a Philistine. He even has a thing for Philistine women, right? He's never attracted to an Israelite woman. He's no different from them. But he is not under God's judgment like they are. Why? What's the difference? God chose him. God chose him despite himself. Now, why is that important? Why are we talking about this today? Well, listen, everything I've just said about <clears throat> Samson is true of Christians. Our identity, what makes us special, what makes us different, what makes us acceptable, uh, is not, has nothing to do with us. Nothing. God's gracious choice to save us makes all of those things possible. Period. That's it. Paul puts it this way in Romans chapter 4, verse 5, and I'm only slightly paraphrasing what he says there. He says, the one who has true faith, the true believer, or we might say the true Nazarite, is not the one who lives a holy life. Instead, the true Christian believes in and clings to the one who lived a holy life for him. That person is the one God chooses. Now, this lesson from Samson is incredibly freeing and it's also incredibly disturbing as we think about this for our own lives. It's freeing because it means that our righteousness, which is the Bible's word for our acceptableness, is not based upon us. It's actually despite us. We are weak. We are frail. We are Samson in so many ways. But God, through Jesus' life and death on our behalf, makes us acceptable by faith. Now, maybe that sounds a little churchy, but, but this is the gospel. And not only is it the gospel, the, the heart of the gospel of Christianity, it is at the heart of the human condition for any person. Because you see, human beings, every one of us, we wake up every morning and we are in a fight. We are in a fight to justify our existence, are we not? To be somebody. We are fighting for an identity for ourselves. And our life in so many ways is a courtroom and the successes and failures of our work or our family or our relationships or our choices or our wealth or our possessions. All of it is material evidence in the trial of our lives. And, and we're all wondering, are we worthy? Are we acceptable? What's the verdict? We all know a verdict is coming. What's the verdict going to be? And Jesus' life and death, if you trust it, is the verdict. His life, his perfect life, is imputed to you. It's applied to you. And when God chooses you this way, he calls you a Nazarite, not because you behave like one, but because Jesus makes you one. He is your identity. He is your verdict. And that is incredibly freeing. But it's also very disturbing because it means that at the end of the day, 
If left on your own, you are nothing more than a lucky Philistine. Samson never understood that, but we must. If our identity, right, if our verdict comes from God and what he has done, it means that we are all capable of the tremendous evil we see around the world in the human heart. We are all capable of that. At every moment of life, every second, we are one problem, we are one pain, we are one disaster away from becoming the kind of oppressors that the Philistines were. It's within us. It's already there. It is. If not for God's grace, we would be undone. Our identity in Christ, it makes us secure, but it also must make us humble. Samson totally misses that. He feels entitled. He says things like, give me that woman. Uh, I won't let you get away with that. Uh, Why are you doing, you can't do that to me. Because he thinks he's special. He thinks he's God's gift, but he isn't. And we aren't. We must humbly acknowledge that God alone saves and we don't. But with that humility, if Christians, as Christians, if you grasp that kind of humility, with it comes incredible power. And when God chooses, he always empowers. When God chooses, he empowers. And, and this is our second point. God chooses despite us, and he empowers despite us. So back in Samson's story, we know that God has chosen him, uh, not for no reason at all, but for a special mission. He's supposed to deliver Israel from the Philistines. And of course, uh, that, this is what makes Samson feel so famous, is the way in which God empowers him, right? It's his physical strength. But God only empowers him despite himself, because at no point in his story does Samson use his power for the right reasons. And to understand that, uh, we need to summarize some of his story here. So Samson, right, after marrying a Philistine woman uh, at the beginning of chapter 14, it's like the first thing he does. Uh, he throws a big party with lots of alcohol, and this, this word for feast in verse 10 of chapter 14 in your Bible, it, it, it means drinking party. So he's throwing the seven-day frat party. And Samson, yeah, really, Samson puts a riddle to the Philistines that are there that only he knows the answer to. And he makes a bet with them. He says, if you can't answer this correctly, then you have to pay me. And the Philistines, they don't want to be swindled, so they threaten to kill his fiancée if, if she does not get the answer from him. And so his fiancée, to save her own life, coaxes the answer to this riddle out of Samson, and she tells the Philistines, and then the Philistines, you know, they cheat the cheater. They, they beat Samson at his own game. They give him the answer to his riddle. So Samson gets mad and responds by killing a bunch of them. In the meantime, in verse 20, uh, the text says Samson's wife was given to his companion who had been his best man. So while he's off gallivanting around, his wife is given away. It's a big mistake. When Samson finds out, he catches 300 foxes. And don't ask me how he did it, but he, ca- he caught 300 foxes. And he ties torches to their tails. And he releases them in the fields of the Philistines and, and burns down their crops. Now, keep in mind, everything Samson has done up to this point was for incredibly self-centered reasons. But God is using it anyway. Through his actions, the Philistines are, are weakening and when the Philistines find out, back to the story, what he has done, they, they find his fiancée and they find his father-in-law and they kill them. Samson finds out about that, and he, so he kills a few more of them. Then he flees to Lehi, which is a, a city in the, in the land of the tribe of Judah. So this is, these are his countrymen he's hiding amongst. And the Philistines, they come out, they know where he is, they come out a thousand men strong to kill him. And the Judahites, meanwhile, who want nothing to do with this fight, they they go and they find Samson who's hiding somewhere. And they say, why are you here? Why are you bringing us into this? We want nothing to do with this. We're going to take you to the Philistines. 
So they bind him and they drag him to the Philistine army. And then in chapter 15, verse 14, the text says, The Spirit of the Lord rushed upon Samson, and the ropes that were on his arms became as flax that has caught fire, and his bonds melted off of his hands. He found a fresh jawbone of a donkey and put out his hand and took it, and with it he struck a thousand men. So let's stop there for a minute. So what an incredible display of strength, right? But what, what also, just what a spectacle of foolish pride and arrogance Samson has been so far. He's so strong, but he's so blind. Samson uses his power for arrogant reasons. He shows off with it. He uses his power for selfish reasons, for vengeance, and, and to protect his pride. He seems more upset that the Philistines would affront him than the fact that they've murdered his wife. He doesn't even seem to care. He uses his power for indulgent reasons, to run after women and just get things that he wants. And later in his story, he'll, he'll run after prostitutes and other Philistine women. But his power and his abuse of power, as we, as we reflect on that, are not what is so surprising about the story. The most bizarre thing about this story is that God keeps empowering him despite himself. Samson gives God every reason he possibly can to take his power away. He breaks every vow, but God continues to use him. Now, what does that mean for us? Well, it means several things. At the very least, it should give us hope, because if God can use someone like Samson, then he can probably use most of the people in this room. But it's also Samson's indulgence, and his story is a warning. And really, it's two warnings for us. Uh, The first warning is that success does not equal God's approval. Success does not equal God's approval. Samson, at least in this part of his life, he's greeted, if you think about it, with a lot of success. Every fight that he picks, he wins. And all the while, he's just about the worst Nazarite you can possibly be. We cannot forget, as so many of us do, that God empowers, that God gives gifts and abilities despite us, not because of us. He does this because God, he has a purpose. He has a mission in mind for us, just like he did for Samson. And our abilities and our power and our relationships and our title and our salary and our job, right? All of it are gifts that he gives toward that end. But if we fail to see them that way, if we will abuse our power, we will use them for selfish reasons. And if we do that enough, God will take those things away. He just might take them away. He just might take them away to save you from yourself. That's because success is not only a bad indicator of faith. It's also a very powerful distraction from your real problems. When power leads to success, we are, we are so quickly tempted to forget who empowers and why. And God, in an act of grace, he will take that away so that we can no longer justify ourselves based upon our success. And Samson's story is, again, a helpful illustration here. He does not, Samson never truly understands where his power came from until it is taken from him. And this this is really the second warning of Samson's power, is that God can take it away at any moment. And we haven't read this part of his story yet, uh, but eventually in chapter 16, uh, Samson meets Delilah, and he falls madly in love with her. And so the Philistines, they've tried this tactic before. They they find Delilah, and they, they say, we will bribe you to get the the secret to Samson's power, coax it out of him and let us know. And uh, Samson, right, Delilah agrees to do this. Uh, And Samson eventually, after a few kind of false starts with her, he tells Delilah exactly what to do. He says, if you cut my hair, 
my strength will leave me. And sure enough, while he sleeps, his hair is cut and he becomes a normal human being, uh, easy to tie up and lead away into slavery, which is exactly what happens to him. And uh, uh, now we read that and I think it's sometimes we wonder, was Samson's hair magical? Like, you know, it got cut off and now he's weak. Is that just like magic hair? Well, no, not at all. But it was a symbol. It was, it was the very last symbol of his devotion to God. It was the only vow that Samson had never broken from birth. And it was the only thing that could remind Samson in his life that his power came from God and God alone. It was the only thing left. But after so much success, despite his disobedience, I get the impression that Samson just began to believe he was invincible to his own sin. He had broken so many of his vows. He had done this over and over again. He was still successful. He didn't believe that even cutting his hair would affect him. But that all comes crashing down on him in verse 20 because even after his hair is cut, Samson says to himself when they kind of pounce on him, he says, I will go out as at other times and shake myself free. See, he still thinks that he's as strong as he was before. And notice this, the text does not say that Samson thinks this because he did not realize his hair was cut. He did. But that was never the source of his strength. Instead, the text says, and this is so tragic, Samson does this because he did not know that the Lord had left him. The Lord had left him. And you see, God had always empowered Samson, despite himself. And God finally had to remind Samson the only way Samson could understand that he was not the hero of this story. And he can do the same to us too. So listen, when when you get out of the way of God, when you, when you remember constantly in every success that might come your way that it is God who empowered you, that it was God who gave you those good things, then you are free for God to use you well, not the way he uses Samson. And then we're free to point to the real savior of our lives instead of ourselves. And you see, the joke in the story is really on Samson. Uh, when he kills uh, those thousand men in chapter 15 uh, with a jawbone of a donkey, Uh, In a display of real kind of callousness and evil, Samson jokes about how he's just killed these people. And he says in verse 16 of that chapter, with the jawbone of a donkey, heaps upon heaps, with the jawbone of a donkey have I struck down a thousand men. Now, that's not very funny in English, I realize. Um, But in Hebrew, the word for donkey and for heaps sounds the same. So really what Samson is saying, he's joking, he's saying, with the jawbone of an ass, I made asses of them. But God, through this story, when you read it and you pay attention, is actually saying, actually, Samson, I did. You're the ass I have used to save Israel. You are. And some of you, maybe you're offended. I think I heard a few of you giggling, but maybe you, a few of you are offended that the Bible uses this word. But that's the point. The point is that God can empower anyone, even an ass, to accomplish his purposes. And Samson is just the ass. He's the idiot that God has used. Samson could have been, and really was in many ways, if you think about it, nothing but the jaw of a dead, dumb animal. That's all God needs. God's presence in us, that is our power. It is not our talents, it is not our strength, it's not even our religion or our vows, as Samson's story shows. It is the presence of God that empowers. And if we take that for granted, as Samson does, one day we might wake up and we will find that our hair has been cut. 
we will wake up and we will find that we have cut God out of every part of our lives where he was working. And we will no longer have the strength to handle life anymore. But if instead of taking this for granted, if in the midst of our success, if in the midst of our accomplishments, when we feel God has used us to do something good, if we can say to ourselves, yes, God used the jawbone of an ass to do this. If we understand that to God's glory, the joke is on us, then we are doing much better than Samson. And we will know the source of our power. And God will use us in in powerful ways despite our weaknesses and our failures. And there's incredible freedom in that. And this is a freedom that Samson never truly experiences. At the end of his life, he is a slave to the Philistines and he's blinded by them. They gouge his eyes out. But really, he is a slave to his own pride and he is really blind to the truth of his own disobedience. Because as bad as the Philistines are in this story, as oppressive as they are on God's people, nothing is as oppressive in this story as the sin in Samson's heart. He is a slave. He's a slave. And we probably know the end of his story at the end of chapter 16. Uh, He's chained in the basement of a Philistine temple and there are thousands of Philistines there mocking him, right? They finally captured Uh, The mighty Samson, he's blind and he's weak and they can make fun of him now. And in one final act of strength that God empowers him one last time, Samson pushes down the pillars holding up the building. And as the temple crashes down around Samson, uh, the author of Judges notes that Samson killed more Philistines in death than he did in life. And that's the end of his story. And it's, it's kind of a strange ending in a few ways, but the most important one is that Israel ends up being delivered from the Philistines ends up being saved from this oppression that they were under, uh, even though nobody wanted it and nobody asked for it. If you were to read the whole book of Judges, part of the pattern is that when, in, when Israel is oppressed by a foreign enemy, uh, the, the Israel cries out to God to save them. And then he raises up a savior, he raises up a judge to deliver, to deliver them. But this time, in Samson's story, nobody asks for God's help. Nobody wants God to intervene. In fact, if you remember, Judah, which was one of the tribes of Israel herself, hands Samson over to the Philistines instead of rallying around him and fighting them with him. And this is our last point, is that God, he chooses despite us, he empowers despite us, but he saves despite us. And I'm struck uh, by the parallels between Samson's story and Jesus' story. Uh, Jesus, too, was chosen and empowered by God to save Israel, to save the world. And he was handed over to God's enemies by his own people, just like Samson. He was ridiculed by his captors. He was led away in chains and killed, publicly executed. And he too was saved many by his death on the cross. And most importantly, uh, Jesus saved a people who were not looking for the salvation that he came to offer. And here it is, it's Palm Sunday, as Randy mentioned, and we have to remember that the crowds who welcomed Jesus at the beginning of the week are the same ones yelling, crucify him at the end of the week. Why? What happened? Well, because they thought that their oppression was on the outside. They think that their big problem in life was Rome. But Jesus knew better. Jesus knew the real oppressor was in their very hearts. It was sin itself. And they didn't want to hear that. And uh, nothing's changed. We don't want to hear that either. It is not a hard jump for people to believe that Jesus is Savior once you believe that you need saving. That's the hard part. None of us wants to acknowledge that we need saving. We all want to be the hero of our spirituality. And the problem is that when we do that, 
When we look inside, as Samson does, for our own inner peace or our own inner strength or our own moral fortitude to save us, when you do that like Samson did, you look inside, all you will find there is oppression. It's all you will find. You will be a slave to what others think of you. You will be a slave to what you think of you. You will be a slave to your own ambitions and your own addictions and problems, and you will be blind to your weaknesses and your flaws, and they will be your undoing. You don't need strength. You need rescue. You need a judge. You need a savior to tell you who you are. And Jesus didn't wait for you to cry out for help to do this. He's already saved if you only trust him. He's already done it. He doesn't need to kill his enemies on the cross. He forgives them. He did not reluctantly die for you as Samson does. He, he willingly chose to go to the cross. He stands ready to accept any one of us every moment of every day. Admit your weaknesses and cling to him. And there in his arms, you will find your true strength. It's the promise of this story. Samson was not a hero. We are not heroes either. So let Jesus be your judge. He will not fail you. He's mighty to save. Let's pray to him. Father, we are again struck by your grace in choosing us and empowering us and saving us despite our issues and our problems and our weakness. That you would invite us into your story and make us a, a part of, of what you're doing in this world. And we, and we realize all of that is possible because of what Jesus has done for us. And I pray that that knowledge inform how we live every single day. It's in Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen.